and you're back with Encounter with God here on Faith FM. We're into the 20 million movement where we're all studying the same passage of the Bible at the same time together and we have an opportunity today to study about the Word of God. Now, of course, the clue for the quiz has been snapped up. Michael from Kurumbong has correctly answered, so we won't be giving you another clue today. You weren't quite quick enough. Anyway, moving on with uh, today's study, uh, Mon, I'm wondering whether you can turn for us in your Bible to Second Kings. We're going to read from Second Kings today. Great story. One of my one of my favourite stories in the in, in the Book of Kings. But Mon, uh, what I'm wondering is we're, we're going to get some historical context for this story before we actually dig into it. Okay. And we're talking about, of course, unity and worship. And mm-hmm. today we're going to be talking about the centrality of God's word in relationship to the issue of unity in worship. Mon, can you read for us Second Kings chapter twenty-one and verse one and two? Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. His mother was Hephzibah. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, following the detestable practices of the pagan nations that the Lord had driven from the land ahead of the Israelites. Okay, so we've got Manasseh coming to the throne here. In this particular passage, we find that Manasseh is one of, if I think he is the longest reigning king of either Israel or Judah. 55 years is a very, very long reign. This is in an era when most people were living into their 40s. Well, I mean, he did start when he was 12, so. But he lived a long age and he reigned a long time. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. kings tended, tended to have uh, shorter lifespans than the average person. Stressful job. Stressful job. Everyone people, wants you dead. Yeah, all that, all that. <laughs> And we find that when we come down to his son here in just a moment. Okay, so Mon, does he do what is right or what is evil? No, very evil. Okay, let's uh, find out how evil. Can you read for us uh, verse 4 through 7, please? He built pagan altars in the temple of the Lord, the place where the Lord had said, My name will remain in Jerusalem forever. He built these altars for all the powers of the heavens in both courtyards of the Lord's temple. Manasseh also sacrificed his own son in the fire. He practiced sorcery and divination, and he consulted with mediums and psychics. Mm -hmm. He did much that was evil in the Lord's sight, arousing his anger. Manasseh even made a carved image of Asherah and set it up in the temple, the very place the Lord had told David and his son Solomon, my name will be honored forever in this temple and in Jerusalem, the city that I have chosen from among the tribes of Israel. Okay, let's let's stop there for a moment. We find that when you study the history of Judah and Israel, that there were some kings who would wander away from God, right? Mm-hmm. Has he wandered away from God? Has he just sort of like drifted into uh, you know a bit of secularism here? I feel like he's like pole vaulted into paganism. He has gone hardcore. Yeah. Now, have you ever noticed that sometimes when you find people who have lived a very devout life and they leave God, they tend to crash further and harder. Into immorality than the than anyone else in the world, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and this is exactly what Manasseh is doing here in a desperation to quench his conscience, which is plaguing him. He is just going harder and harder and harder into you know the most vile. It's almost like he lays awake at night to ask himself the question: How can I eradicate the knowledge of God? From Judah, how can I how can I just get rid of this so that it no longer exists? You know, in any way, shape, or form, it will never come back again. And you know, he has truly become fully dedicated to the cause of Satan. Isn't he? Doesn't he have the reputation of being the most evil king? 
Most evil person probably that ever lived. I mean, he sacrificed his own children. Yeah, it's disgusting. That's just like, you know, this was something that was, you know, when you study archaeology and study the history of the surrounding nations, this was something that took place very, very rarely. Mm -hmm. Child sacrifice, human sacrifice was very rare in this part of the world at this um, period of history. And yeah, that's where he has gone. Okay, let's read verse 9. Verse 9 says, But the people refused to listen, and Manasseh led them to do even more evil than the pagan nations that the Lord had destroyed when the people of Israel entered the land. Okay, so they, 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 you know, and, and what you find is that they are crashing out into deeper immorality than any nation that was, a, that was, you know, has ever existed in this part of the world. This really exemplifies where the devil will take you if you let him. Yeah. If you give him an inch, like this is where you can end up. Like when NASA sacrificing your own children. He will, he will give him an inch and he will take many, many miles. Mm-hmm. Verse 16. Verse 16 says, Manasseh also murdered many innocent people until Jerusalem was filled from one end to the other with innocent blood. This was in addition to the sin that caused that he caused the people of Judah to commit, leading them to do evil in the Lord's sight. Okay, so not only does he become a deep-seated worshipper of Satan himself, not only does he commit child sacrifice, not only does he place you know images of Asherah in the temple of God, but he then becomes a political, from a political perspective, he becomes a psychopath and a despot mm. of the worst imaginable kind. There is no one in the Bible more evil and possibly no one in the world more evil than what Manasseh was. Um, and a side note to this, because we're not, this is not actually the, the subject that we're studying, a side note is that in the end of his life, he was actually converted. Isn't that incredible? It is. It's, to me, it's the best part of this story because you know he has the reputation of being like the worst king ever, the probably worst per- people that ever lived, and here you have the story of of just how God, how powerful God is, and His converting power, and His the power that He can give you to change is just unparalleled. Yeah, unfortunately, like unfortunately, it happened late in his life. Uh, the last two years of his life, he he spent serving God. But you know, you can't undo everything when you're an old man and you've only got two years left to live. Yeah, it's pretty filled with regret. Yeah. Okay, so uh, he dies. Uh, verse 19. Verse 19. Let me see. Ammon was 22 years old when he became the king, and he reigned in Jerusalem two years. His mother was Meshulahmeth, the daughter of Haruz from Jotba. Okay, so, um, yeah, that was fun, wasn't it? Yeah, thanks. <laughs> no worries. Anytime. My pleasure. Um, he comes to the throne. Um, the Bible says in verse 20, he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, as his father Manasseh had done. Mm-hmm. So he had learnt well from his father. He's 22 years old, and uh, he only lasts for two years. Not uncommon for kings in those days to have short lifespans. Yeah, it's it's you know it's it's sad when I mean it's it's amazing that to think that no matter what you do, you know you probably haven't done anything nearly as horrific as Manasseh has done, and the Lord will still forgive and accept you. But it's still sad to see um, you know you still have the consequences of sin, and having a son like this is a direct consequence of how you've yeah, lived your life. So, absolutely. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's definitely a, a testament to that. You know, we should come to God and we should do everything we can to make sure our life is in line with um with God's, you know, God's um guidelines because it really is the best life. Absolutely, no question. And, you know, um how are you going to how are you going to undo all of that evil, you know, in those in those two years when you've raised your son for the last 
20 years as an out-and-out hardcore pagan god-hating devil-worshipping, bloodthirsting psychopath. Ammon lasts for two years and he's gone. And then that brings us to chapter 22. And verse 1, if you could read that one for us. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. His mother was Jedidah, the daughter of Adahiah from Bozkath. Okay, so let's think about this for a moment. It has now been 57 years since anyone in Judah has been worshipping God. Mm. You know, obviously people in their private homes, probably particularly rural people, would have maintained the worship of God. Yeah, but the temple has been desecrated. Uh, the temple has pagan idols in it. It doesn't have, you know, the, it's not a center of the worship of God. Uh, the knowledge of God has largely been forgotten, and um, you know, you've got Manasseh who need, who did not just walk away from God. He didn't just go to you know worship Baal or something like that. He actually had a very very hardcore agenda to rid uh, the knowledge of God from. The world, because this was, you know, this tiny little nation of Judah was the last place on earth where God had a foothold. The last place. Wow. On the entire planet. It was just this little nation of Judah. And Satan gets hold of this nation of Judah, turns it around, makes it his own servant, and just this tiny little nation of Judah. And now it has gone far, far from God. It's interesting here how it mentions um, some of these kings' mothers. Um, that's not a typical thing in those days, and it indicates often that the mother had a major influence on uh, this person's life, and the knowledge of God had not entirely disappeared because Josiah comes to the throne at the age of eight, mm. and we know he did not get his religious instruction from his father. No. But possibly some as a very young baby from his grandfather after Manasseh was converted, and definitely from his mother, the power that a mother has. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. The power that a mother has to have a good influence on her children. If you are a mother today listening in and you have children, then do not ever underestimate underestimate the power for good that you can bring to the world. All right, so Josiah comes to the throne. Uh, Verse 2, please, Mon. Uh, Verse 2 says, He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight and followed the example of his ancestor David. He did not turn away from doing what was right. Okay, but for 57 years, and this is in in an era where the average lifespan was in the 40s, uh, so for a very, very long time period and more than an entire generation, the knowledge of God has been lost. Mm. And so really you've got Josiah here is like, yeah, I'm going to serve the Lord, but he's working under tremendous difficulties because how do you serve the Lord? How do you even how do you even know or understand what the Lord wants or desires or anything like that when you have really, grown up in that kind of environment? When you've grown up in that yeah. kind of environment, how are you going to find out what it even means to be a follower of God? Who are you going to look for as an example? Well, I guess they had the history books, right? And he mentions here David, so I'm guessing he must have taken the time to study out. That's a good thought. Guess Mm -hmm. what? What? They didn't. They didn't? Okay, I don't know then. They didn't. Did they they have records? That is what this story is all about. Oh, really? Yes, it is. That is what this story is all about. When Josiah comes to the throne, there is no copy of the Bible in existence that anyone knows about anywhere on the planet. Wow. None. Can you imagine that? Yeah, I mean, no, but how, just imagine. How did, he, 
How did he become so? Like, how did he become a good king? How did he become a righteous king? If he didn't okay, have we need to, to we need to read this story, don't we? Yes. Uh, let's read verse four to six. Uh, Twenty-two. Let's start in verse. You just keep reading from verse three. In the eleventh year of his reign, King Josiah sent Shaphan, son of Azaliah. So he's eighteen years old now. And the grandson of Meshulam, the court secretary of the temple of the Lord. He told him, go to, goodness me, go to Hilkiah, the high priest, and have him count the money from the gatekeepers have collected from the people of the Lord's temple. Entrust this money to the men assigned to supervise the restoration of the Lord's temple. Then they can use it to pay workers to repair the temple. They will need to hire carpenters, builders, and masons. Also, have them buy the timber and the finished stone needed to repair the temple, but don't require the construction supervisors to keep account of the money they receive, for they are honest and trustworthy men. Okay, so here's an interesting story. He's 18 years old now. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's been in power for, what, uh, 10, 11 years? And he has begun to rebuild the temple of God. Now, you can imagine what condition the temple of God was in when he started. You know, 57 years of idolatrous worship has been taking place there. Human sacrifices have taken place there. An altar, you know, several altars have been set up there to pagan gods. A statue of of Asherah has been set up in this temple. Um, And Manasseh has done everything he can to eradicate the knowledge of God from this temple. And so he gets to the age of 18. He's been in power for a while now, but he's been ruling as a child. But now he's a young man. He's like, you know what? I'm going to do something. And so he gathers together money. He gathers together some honest men. And he's like, all right, whatever it takes. You just do the work and you have a retainer. You have a salary to get this work done. Just get it done. Mm. We're going to restore the temple of God. And so he's working hard. And you can imagine that, you know, the temple, we often think of it as just, you know, the courtyard, holy place and most holy place. But it comprised a lot more than that. There were a lot of buildings that were attached to the temple, buildings where the priests lived, buildings where the libraries were, buildings where the tithe storehouses houses were. Um, there was a lot that was actually attached you know, to this whole temple complex. And of course, there'd been no priest there for a very long time. Uh, a lot of it was just, just been disused and was full of rubbish. They had to start by cleaning out the rubbish and cleaning out the idolatry and, you know, doing a major renovation. And so you can see that they they are definitely getting busy here. Verse 8, please, Mon. Verse 8 says, Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan, the court secretary, I have found the book of the Lord in the Lord's temple. Then, ooh, ooh, that's interesting. Then Hilkiah gave the scroll to Shaphan and he read it. Okay, so here's Shaphan the scribe. Literacy was not common in those days, and so typically a court would hire a scribe who was literate, who could read and write, um, and who would serve the king in that manner. And so that is Shaphan's job. His job is the scribe. And so Hilkiah turns up and is like, I found a copy of the Bible. Now think about this, Mon. This is the only copy of the Bible in existence. That's incredible. This is a point in history where God's word was reduced to just one copy. Imagine that. Mm. And this one copy we've been lost. Goodness knows how many years have been lost. We've probably been lost for like, you know, I don't know, what, um, 40, 50 years yeah, easily? Yeah. Nobody nobody even knew that even and, – and, and everybody's just going by memory – because they have no, they have no record, no copy of the of the word of God. So they're just like, yep, okay, we're going to go by memory here. We're going to put this temple back together. We're going to do the best that we can. And you know, Josiah is doing the best that he can. But how do you really serve God without a copy of the word of God? And then 
Hilkiah the priest finds it. Imagine, imagine finding it, realizing what it is. Take it to Shaphan. Shaphan realizes what it is, takes it home, and just sits down and for the first time in his life ever, he reads the word of God. It's just mind-blowing. I wonder if some people didn't even know that it like, existed. Like, there's a what now? Like yeah. that kind of a response. Yeah. 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 Let's go down to, um, where will we go to? What did we, what did we do? We read, we read uh, verse verse 11. Um, oh, no, no, sorry. Verse yeah, keep reading. Keep verse reading. Nine, yeah. Shaphan went to the king and reported, Your officials have turned over the money collected at the temple of the Lord to the workers and supervisors of the temple. Shaphan also told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a scroll. So Shaphan read it to the king. Okay, so now the king, Josiah, he is now hearing the word of God for the first time himself. Now, I don't know about you, but reading the Word of God is one of the most powerful spiritual experiences that you know a person can ever have. Absolutely. And here's somebody who's a deeply spiritual person. They're a very faithful person. They're dedicated to the service of God. And they have been serving God their, you know, his entire 18 years of his life. And yet here for the very, very first time, he reads the Word of God. It was just like just a mind-blowing experience that uh, that he's having right here. Verse 11, how does he, how does um how does he react? He has a pretty 11? strong response. He has a, pretty, he has a strong, pretty strong response. When the king heard what was written in the book of the law, he tore his clothes in despair. Then he gave these orders to Hilkiah the priest, Anakim son of Shaphan, Achor son of blah blah blah, uh, Shaphan the court secretary and something like and the king's personal advisor. Couldn't they just have names like John and Steve? Go to the temple and speak to the Lord for me and the people and for all Judah. Inquire about the words written in this scroll that has been found. For the Lord's great anger is burning against us because our ancestors have not obeyed the words in this scroll. We have not been doing everything it says we must do. Okay, so he takes. Uh, I'll, cut, I'll, cut, I'll cut a long story short here for the sake of time, but he takes it to um, uh, what was her name? Holder, I think it was. Yeah, Holder. Holder the prophetess, and Holder comes back <laughs> and says, "No, you know, yes, the Bible does say this, but it's not going to happen to you because of your faithfulness to God. It will not happen in your era. It will happen when people they're, turn away from they're God. They're freaking again. out because they've seen the way that they're yeah, living. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the contrast. Seen what God said. Yeah, yeah. They've seen that God's, God, God's like, okay, if you turn away from me and you go and serve idols, I'm going to remove my protection. When I'm going to remove my protection, then you know this and, this and this and this and this and this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. And he's read that and he's like, realized that this is this is the fate that we are facing right now. And he realizes what a weak um, position Judah is in politically. And he's like, this is this is terrible. Yeah. And uh, but Holder comes through, and she's like, "No, this is you know, God has told me that He's going to stand up for you because of your faithfulness to Him." And as it turns out, Josiah turns around, and um, they gather together the whole of Israel into a public place in Jerusalem, and he then commands Shaphan the scribe to read the Bible to the whole nation. Of Judah, it's just incredible, you know. So here's a whole nation. Imagine this: it's like, yeah, we're going to have a uh, let's have a camp meeting. Let's get everybody around, and what we're going to do is we're going to read you the Bible. I wonder if this is like a record. And nobody there <coughs> has ever heard the Bible. It's before. like the world's biggest Bible study happening right here. You know, you talk to well, we we're talking to Claire earlier about you know where she goes back into the mountains there and the Solomon's and you know so many of these people have never read the Bible before. Uh, they're barely literate, and if they are literate, then uh, you know they 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 don't trust their pigeon Bible, and so they want to read it in English, but they don't speak good enough English to be able to read it in English and understand it, and so they are they have very very little biblical literacy, and so they just you know sort of 
go by whatever they are told, and they're super excited whenever somebody comes and reads to them the Bible. Here you have these people hearing the Bible for themselves for the very first time. You know, and the way that it used to work back then is you'd stand in a public place and you would read, and then you would have repeaters who would listen to what you were saying and then repeat it to the people who were further out in the crowd and further out in the crowd. And so this is the process that's taking place. And it happens over you know, a number of days, and a great revival takes place.
Welcome back, guys. That was Chris Wenigar with How Oh How I Love Jesus here on Faith FM. And we are in the middle of one of the most exciting stories that you'll find anywhere in the Bible. Mm. And that really comes down to, um, you know, the story of the Word of God being lost, the Word of God being reduced to just one copy, and then that being found again in the whole of Israel being called together to you know, to read and study and, and, and share the Word of God together. And, and what you find is that, uh, you know, they do this and then they have Passover, you know, a festival that they hadn't had for, you know, the last 57 years. But more oh. than that, more than that, because now, you know, this is 11 years into Josiah's reign. I wonder if there's any people, like really, really old people in the crowd going, oh, I remember this, you know. Just yeah, well, they'd be 70, they'd be in their 70s. In their, if they could remember it, they would be in their late 70s. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's unlikely. You know they had two Passovers back to back? Oh, they did? Yeah, because they had Passover and it was so reviving and so incredible and so powerful and They're so like, wonderful. It's it like again. They just did it, for, they did it again. Did, went amazing. on for another week, yeah. Uh, incredible experience of revival that, um, that took place as a result of, you know, discovering the Word of God right here. And heaven just must have been so rejoicing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, if it wasn't for the, if it wasn't for what Josiah did, if it wasn't for what, you know, uh, Hilkiah found and Shaphan the scribe read, we would not be here today. Mm-hmm. We would not be worshiping God today. We would not be serving him today. Um, it, uh, yeah, just, just, just remarkable. Um, I, uh, um, it just, it just blows my mind the power that there is in the Word of God and how central the Word of God is to the experience of worship and unity. Absolutely. I was you know, just here thinking, you've got a, uni- yeah. a nation that uh, they discover the Word of God and it just unites the whole nation. Yeah. I was just thinking that in the theme of unity, you have here a, a, a massive group Bible study. And this is how we should be with the Bible. We should you know, study it ourselves and we should study it with others. We should study it as a nation. Most definitely we should. All right, Mon, let's move on. Let's look at some other passages here in relationship to this particular subject. Let's go over to Acts chapter 17, verse 10 and 11. Acts 17. Let me head over there. By the way, I bet you weren't in the book of... Uh, I wonder, no. You weren't thinking of the book of First, Second I, Kings. I never would have been in that book when we started this study. I would have been like over in maybe Daniel. There you go. Acts 17. Yes, Acts 17. Verse... Uh, Acts 17, verse 10 and 11. That very night, the believers sent Paul and Silas to Berea. When they arrived there, they went to the Jewish synagogue, and the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica, and they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. Okay, so you've got a very interesting situation. These people are actually open to what Paul is, which was which was not. This is atypical for the Jewish community at that particular time. And they give an excellent example of what to do when presented with Bible truth by a human. Yeah, absolutely. Go searching. Go digging. Find out whether this is true or not. Find out whether it is uh, something that we can, you know, can we trust it? Can we rely on it? Is uh, does it stack up to what the Bible actually says? Because so many of us just sit in church, you know, with our mouths hanging open, staring at the speaker, listen to the preacher, Absolutely. believe everything that the speaker says. Yep, and then just you know walk out and don't don't study it out for themselves, don't question it. Yeah. 
Absolutely. All right. So um, let's go to Acts chapter 17. Acts 17. Oh, sorry. We were in Acts chapter 17. Let's go to 2 Timothy now. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Getting behind. These people remind me of that saying, if you're not thinking for yourself, someone's doing your thinking for you. And these people were definitely thinking for themselves. Yeah. And that's what we need to all be. We need to be... People who think for ourselves rather than people who reflect other men's thoughts. That's and the right. only way that you can be a person who thinks for yourself is to do your own Bible study and to learn the Word of God for yourself. Where were we? Second, First Timothy? Yep. Second Timothy. Second Timothy. Let's go Second Timothy. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 through 17. Please, Mon. 14. But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the holy scriptures from childhood, and they have been given you the wisdom. Sorry, and they and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. Thank you. Okay, so. Um if we look at this particular passage here, let's work our way through it. What 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 kind of an upbringing did Timothy have? Tim, I have no idea about Timothy, actually. Well, this is Timothy. Oh, this is Timothy. But who says this was his life, right? Okay, so, so Paul is writing Oh, Timothy. you've been taught uh, by, from childhood. Yeah. Ah, he sounds like he's had a really good one. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. The Bible talks about how that he was raised by his mother and his grandmother. Oh, really? Yeah, it doesn't okay. talk about his father. Oh. Um, but he was raised by his mother and his grandmother. Mm-hmm. Don't know where the father was, whether he's in the picture or passed away or what it was. But the simple reality is that from childhood, he had been taught the scriptures. And I would recommend this to anybody out there right now. If you are listening in and you are a parent and you have children, teach your, teach your children the scriptures every day. It will become a foundation for their life. It will become a found, it becomes a foundation for society. The society in which we live today, whether we like to admit it or not, is founded on the teaching of the scriptures. That's Western society, right there. And it's the most successful society. It's got its failures and its problems for sure. We could talk about that all day long. But it's the most successful form of society that the world has ever seen. And it's based on people who raise their children by studying the scriptures, studying the Bible. And there is nothing better you can do for your children than to bring them up reading and studying the Bible and learning for themselves and learning how to think for themselves and learning how to study for themselves. So, Mon, there are those uh, who would argue that this is actually not a good thing to be doing, that it's actually a dangerous thing to be doing because it creates fractions and divisions and everybody has their own thoughts and there's you know thousands and thousands and thousands of different religious groups in the world and even amongst Christianity, it is the personal study of the Bible that has created so much division. What's your thoughts on that? I say rather have religious freedom than to have a bunch of dodos. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's a yeah. good point. Yeah, Better to have religious freedom where people can study for themselves and live according to their conscience than have people who are just forced into being robots and following yeah. the state religion. Yeah, or to have something like what we've seen with Manasseh's rule, where no one had access to the Bible yeah. anymore. And they were sacrificing their own kids. You know, and you see that when I, when I was traveling through Iran, this was something that really stood out to me because the Iranian people are the most beautiful people you ever come across. The Persian people, just amazing. Mm-hmm. Loved my time there. And even the, uh, the Arab people that I met there, just wonderful, wonderful people. Um, generous, hospitable, giving, 
Um, just treat you like a celebrity wherever you go. It was fantastic, amazing mm-hmm. experience. Uh, and when you look at where they are at religiously, they have been forced into their religion. They have no choice. You know, there are, okay, so there's four religions that are recognized by the government, but you can't go and swap from one religion to another. You can't think for yourself religiously. If you are born into a religion, you can't change your religion. You can't, you know, there's no freedom of thought that is available there. And what it has produced is a country that is actually remarkably irreligious. Isn't that strange? You know, they all follow the forms but they don't have a spiritual experience and they have a, such a spiritual thirst. Mm. You know, and one person said that if Iran was to um, suddenly become free tomorrow, that a third would immediately become secular, a third would become Christian, a third would stay Muslim. And having been there and experienced it and mixed and, and, and lived with those people, I tend to agree with that. I mm-hmm. think that's, that's kind of where the country is at. There's, uh, it's, it's just a matter of following the forms of the religion rather than being deeply convicted of the truths of what they've been studying. And if we give people freedom and allow them to study the Word of God, then we're going to create a society that is going to um, bless the world.
Forgiveness. It's easier said than done. But there's a program called Forgive to Live, designed to help us all improve our lives and discover the healing power of forgiveness. So if you're keen to take that first step, head to forgivetolive.org.au. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Search for me, I am the truth 
It was Anna Beden with Knitted here on Faith FM. And we have come to question of the day. What is our question of the day today there, Mon? Yeah, cure the D is, what happens during the millennium? Ooh, very good question. The Bible tells us exactly what happens during the millennium in Revelation. Revelation chapter 20. Let me get over there very quickly and read it for you. It says, in verse 4, I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast nor his image, neither had received his mark on their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. And so what you find here taking place during the millennium is a process of judgment in which the saved are involved. And that's a rather strange concept. In what way could the saved be involved in a judgment? And how do you have a judgment after rewards have already been handed out and it's already been decided who's saved and who's lost? Very good question. But before we answer that, let me read to you what it says over in the book of Daniel. So Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. And I'm going to read verse 22 where it says this. Until the Ancient of Days came... And judgment was given to the saints of the Most High, and the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. So the Bible is very, very clear that there comes a time when judgment is given to the righteous, to the saved, to the saints, to those that are in heaven. In fact, Paul makes it even clearer. He takes it one step further. If we go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 3. So 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 3. Three, where the Bible says, Know you not that you shall, future tense, judge angels. Um, you know, and, talks, and then continues on to talk about how much more we should live in this life. Okay, so what we find here is there is a work of judgment, and that, that work of judgment is carried out by the righteous during the 1,000 years after the judgment has taken place. Why? How does this work? Well, the answer is very simple. If we look at the judgment in the big context, God does not need to have a judgment to find out who's saved and who's lost. That is not the purpose of the judgment. The purpose of the judgment, you find, is that the judgment is held in open court in front of the assembled multitudes of the entire universe. And in effect, what God is doing is saying, God is doing is this. He's saying, I can read a person's heart. I know what is in their mind. Therefore, I can choose who's saved and who's lost, but I know that you can't. So therefore, what I'm going to do when I make that decision, I'm going to demonstrate why this person is saved, why this person is lost. Why does God need to do that? Well, freedom of choice exists in the universe. You leave a seed of doubt, and sooner or later, it's just a matter of time, particularly in a universe that is eternal, sooner or later, that seed will germinate. And it will then grow as it germinates and grows. It will uh, bring sin back again. And God wants to eradicate sin from the universe forever, for eternity, so that it never, ever, ever comes back again. So he holds the court, holds the, holds the judgment in open court so that there's no seed of doubt left anywhere. The entire universe can see that God is just, God is loving, and he is all merciful. And so... But there's a problem with that judgment. He has to do that before he comes to this earth. Because when he comes to this earth, the fates of everybody is already decided. And we here on this earth, we can't be a part of that judgment. So there could be a seed of doubt left amongst those who are here 
on this earth, the, the saved from this earth, and you get to heaven, mon, and there's like, well, so-and-so's not here. Why aren't they here? I want to know. Why is that person not here? Surely, God, you made a mistake. They're the most righteous person I ever, ever knew. And God says, well, I know their heart, and their heart was crooked, and their heart was black. And you're like, but I never saw that. And so that could be a seed of doubt. And in the context of eternity, it could come back. It's possible. God's never going to let it come back again. And so God says, okay, here's the, here's the books of record. Have a look for yourself. You choose whether the decision that I made was right or wrong. And of course, you know, in that judgment, we are all going to see that every decision that God has made is exactly the right decision. Uh, of course, then to finish it off, uh, once that has all taken place and everybody has been fully satisfied, there is no doubt left anywhere in the universe, uh, God raises the dead back to life and gives them their opportunity. If you've got something to say, speak for yourself and speak now. And when the Bible says every knee bows and every tongue confesses, that's the wicked doing that as well. And that way, sin will never return. If you have a question, give us a call. 1-800-FAITH-FM.
blessings on belief in the Word of God, the Word of Life. Anders Fenson with The Blind Man and we've come to the end of our show Mon that means we're about to give something away so you need to get on the phone right now 1-800-324-843 is the number get ready to call we are about to give something truly amazing away today on this Friday morning yes this is a great book it's called After God's Heart it's by Elizabeth Vera Talbot Uh, she's a doctor and um, this is a really great book because I was thinking you know when excuse me when Josiah you know they found um, you know Shafin found that scroll and they read it out and they they had a they had a desire to live their lives after God's own heart. And if you also have that desire, this is a great book. It's a study um, from the life of David, and it shows you um, how to live your life after God's own heart. So this is a wonderful book. Uh, it's it's uh, easy to read, great instructions. It's essentially a Bible study in a book. Hmm. So if you'd like to get a copy of that, give us a call now. First person through will get a copy of it for free. One eight hundred Faith FM. One eight hundred three two four eight four three. Of course, we want to remind you about our Let Us Adore Him Christmas celebration service happening. Uh, very soon on the 22nd of December starting at 10am uh, that's at 72 Brunswick Street East Maitland at the Seventh-day Adventist Church there in Maitland it's free entry it'll be a wonderful Christmas program there's going to be songs musical items as carols you can join in and of course a special Christmas message by Lyle himself right here yeah we'd love to have you guys there come along and uh, join in the presentation be absolutely fantastic uh, experience that we're going to have um, as the Word of God is presented. And once again, if you are enjoying the Bible studies, you know what to do. Give us a call, 1-800-324-843. We can get you a copy of the Bible study guide so that you know what verses we're going to be studying each day as we do so here, part of the 20 million movement. Or we can get you a Bible study guide that covers any number of a whole bunch of different Bible study topics. Um, And uh, yeah, so many of those out there that... uh, that you can be uh, blessed with on so many different subjects. But right now, stay tuned. Great show coming up. Crown him with many crowns, the Lamb upon his throne. Hark how the heavenly anthem drowns All music but its own Awake my soul and sing Of him who died for thee And hail him as thy matchless king 
Now we see 